Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Brought up in Peter's book continually throughout 1 Peter. In fact, uh, uh, the, the, the theme is this. The theme is the, the word suffer or, or the term suffering. I've been preaching from the New English translation for this series just because I wanted to. And in the New English translation, 1 Peter uses the word suffer or suffering 19 times. Now, I typically preach from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, and in that translation, Peter uses the word suffer or suffering 16 times. If you go to any online Bible, type in that word, and you can see that any translation, this is a word that Peter uses quite frequently in this short little letter that has five chapters. Peter continuously comes back to this theme or this idea of suffering, and it's, it shouldn't be a shock to us if we were to do some history and, and look into the first century church and what was happening in this time period. The, the concept of suffering was not a foreign concept to Peter or Paul or Mary, James, John, or even Jesus himself. They all experienced different forms of suffering. And so as Peter is writing this letter, he's informing the church of here's how you respond to suffering and here are some different types of suffering. And, and wherever you find yourself at here today, you might be going through a time that you would refer to as a season or a time of suffering. Or you might know somebody who's going through a season or a time of suffering. Different people from different walks of life, depending on where you're at, you might be feeling this right now. And some of you who've been coming here for some time, you might be saying, well, it seems like at New Story, we, we frequently have messages where we talk about trials or difficulties or suffering. And the reason we talk about this so often is because it's something that people are so frequently dealing with. People are, I, I'm constantly having conversations with people where something just popped up or something happened or something unknown occurred. And it's like, what is happening right now? How did this, this is now my life. What just happened? And not only that, when we open the scriptures, we find that not just in 1 Peter, but outside of 1 Peter, this, this concept of suffering and difficulties and trials it's all throughout the scriptures. So if it's something the scriptures talk about a lot, then it's something that we're going to talk about a lot. It's something that's a part of the human experience. It's a part of our faith journey. And what are the different types of suffering and what does it look like for us to suffer well? These are some of the questions that Peter starts to answer in 1 Peter. I was not too long ago listening to uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about the concept of hell, not the afterlife hell. He was looking at hell more so through the, through the here and now and the concept of suffering. And in his context, he said, uh, he said, when people say to him, I don't believe in hell, he looks at them and says, you are fortunate enough to believe that's the case. You are fortunate enough to have lived a life where you have not experienced any form of suffering, in other words. Suffering is something that touches and affects every one of our lives. And if I'm to be honest with you, suffering is not something that I had experienced or have experienced a lot in my life, specifically compared to what some of you have went through. I, I, was, I was raised in a, a pretty stable and consistent home. I, I've had a wonderful marriage over the past seven years, and I've had some, some seasons of trials and difficulties but the first time I was brought into a situation that I would even describe as, as close to suffering was a while ago when, a, when some friends of ours shared with Kim and myself something that they were going through. And when they first shared it with us, this is how selfish I am. The first thing I thought was, well, how does this affect me? 
Any of you do that sometimes? Somebody shares something with you and the first thing you think was, how does this affect me? Like, dirt, this is a loved person sharing something with you. This affects you. But, but we have a difficult time, I think, opening up with our sufferings and sharing them with other people at times because we know we need other people to get through them. But we also know that it's going to then affect them as well. And we start to get this guilt or the shame. Can I really share this? Can I really let people know what's going on? Because I don't know if I want them to carry this weight. I don't really know how that feels like. And, and so, and, and, and there's, this, there's this tension there and there's this difficulty of sharing and letting people in. And all of us have experienced a different type of suffering or suffering in different ways or for different reasons. Our city is currently still in a space of suffering after last month where a man driven by racism and hate came and took the lives of 10 innocent people. That, that brought suffering on people within our city. Tragedy can bring suffering. Hate can bring suffering. There's some of you, maybe you've experienced suffering from the loss of a loved one. Maybe you've experienced suffering through something like a divorce that you didn't think was going to happen. Maybe you've experienced suffering through abuse or shame. Maybe the suffering you've experienced in your life came from the loss of a job. I don't know what it is, but many of us, we've ran into this suffering before, not knowing that it was coming, and it's like it slapped you and came out of nowhere. And what do we do when this suffering comes our way? How do we respond? So many people have different responses. Some of you, when you're going through a season of suffering, you use it and you start to get bitter. You start to get angry at the world. Some of you, when you start to experience suffering, you start to, you start to almost just pull away and get away from other. I don't know if I can even be around anyone anymore. You know, I've noticed is uh, younger generations like millennials and Gen Z, we love to tell everybody about our suffering. We love to say things are suffering that aren't even suffering sometimes because we're just a little bit dramatic that way. And we'll post it on social media. We'll let everybody know about it. We tell everybody all of our business all of the time. And we let everybody know. But the baby boomers, you guys don't let anybody know anything specifically about a difficult season. It's like, we got to keep this private. Why is that private information? But for you, it's private information. Like, it's a very different thing. This is like a warring between generations on how we deal with and cope with and handle suffering. We all cope with it differently. We all handle it differently. We all see it differently. But it's all something that we've experienced in different ways at different times as a part of the human experience. And so as we're walking through Peter's letter, he addresses three different types of suffering. And going from this intro to the first type of suffering I'm going to address in Peter's letter, it's a bit of a hard right turn, but this is a type of suffering that we have to talk about. The other two are a different type of suffering. It's more of a suffering that happens to us. But the first type of suffering that I want to address from Peter's letter, it might kind of feel like a punch in the face for all of us a little bit, but we all have to make sure that we're, as we talk about here frequently, checking our own hearts as well. And so the first type of suffering that Peter talks about, as I said, we're going to be a bit of a hard right turn here. We're going to take it though. Here we go. Let's do it. The first type of suffering is suffering because of sin. Peter talks about there's a suffering that you can experience in your life that I can experience in my life as a result of our own sinful choices and decisions. And, I, and I've noticed this, that within the faith community, sometimes we as Christians, we can be a little bit blinded. Sometimes we can be a little bit not self-aware. Sometimes I, I've noticed 
There are some Christians who will say things like, man, I'm suffering for Christ right now. Nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah, that's because you were gossiping about them all the time. You're not suffering for Christ. You stepped into the sin of gossip, so people are disassociating with you right now. You can't just say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus because of your own bad decisions. But we do that sometimes. I call that the blind Christian or the not self-aware Christian. You can easily just say, oh, a difficult season because I'm going through this. No, you, some, this is not going to be a popular thing to say because it's not very popular for today's narrative. But sometimes, there's some times where you are responsible for your decisions. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there are some times when you do some things that you are responsible for. Every once in a while, you do something, and guess what? It is your fault, and you have to take ownership for it, and I do as well. Every single one of us, it happens. We all do some things sometimes that are our fault. The, the second thing that the Christians will do is, is uh, they, they'll, they'll do something, they know it's wrong, and be like, Man, it was just the devil. The devil got to me. The devil overtook me. What? You have the Holy Spirit of God within you and the devil did that? How does that work? Oh, the devil made me do it. No, you just listened. You gave into temptation. That's on you. That's on you. There are times when we experience a difficult season because of our own dumb decisions and we all just got to raise our hands and admit that every once in a while, we do something stupid. Every once in a while. And that's why Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or as a troublemaker. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or as a troublemaker. Oh, you know, I stole some stuff to help people out. Well, no, you can't steal. Like, and you know, like it's not a good thing. It's not a, an admirable thing to steal, to be a thief. Troublemaker. Oh, you know, I was, just, I was just trying to help some people out. No, you were stirring the pot. You were just stirring the pot. Oh, you know, I, I, got, I got fired from my job because, you know, my, my boss is just, you know, you just weren't getting the job done. And you were cheating company time and you weren't showing up and you were calling in sick when you weren't sick. You're not going through a season of difficulty. You just are making bad decisions. And there's consequences for those decisions. It happens. No, I, I've, I've noticed, you know, people, oh, you know, oh, oh, no, I'm just nobody. I can't find anybody that I trust anymore. I can't, I can't trust anybody. I can't, you know, you know why nobody trusts you and you can't trust anybody? It's because you're lying about people and you're lying about yourself all the time. I know that's a difficult thing to hear, but, but if you want to make some progress, sometimes you got to own up and say, I confess, because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We got to own it. We got to ask for forgiveness. Come on. And I, I know there's a, and I've noticed this too. There's some people who like, some, some of you know these people, it's like every single day they got a complaint. Every single day they got, there's something new going on. There's some new drama in their life. And you think one of two things is happening. This person is living the worst life ever. <laughs> or they are creating a lot of problems for themselves. And if you're the person who's like, oh my gosh, I got this complaint. Oh, this, this person said this. And every single day it's a complaint. Every single day, oh, this person, you wouldn't believe what they said to me. You wouldn't believe it. Every single day, that's your story. Here's the deal. You might be suffering from something called narcissism because you're obsessed over every conversation revolving around you. That might be what you're suffering from. I know that's a bit of a difficult thing to say, but you just might need to hear it because this could actually set you free so that you could start living into the life that Christ has for you. Sometimes the things that you're suffering from could be from your own decisions. But I want to clarify something here as well, because sometimes we view it suffering from sin as this idea of, oh, I've sinned, 
Now I'm facing the consequences for my sin. So now God is upset with me. And that's not how that works. God doesn't put up a stiff arm and say, oh, get away from me. No, God always has arms wide open for us as he did for the prodigal son who returned home to him. What happens is, is the reason sometimes we feel that distance is because, not because God is like, oh, I'm gonna get you, I got you. I didn't know. No, it's because there are consequences for sin. And so whenever you feel that, it's because you're dealing with the consequences of sin, not God saying, get away from me. God always has arms wide open, loving Father extending grace and mercy to every single one of us. So yes, there are consequences for bad decisions, but those are the consequences of those decisions. It's not God saying, oh, let me get you. That's not how that works. So we have to realize sometimes, every once in a while, you could be going through something because of something that you've done or something that I've done. That's how that works. So that's the first one. We got through that. The second thing, that Peter talks about is suffering from corruption. I don't know if you realize this or not. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but we actually live in a world that can be quite corrupt at times. If, you want, if you're taking notes, you could write suffering from a broken world or suffering from a fallen world. There are things that happen in this world that are a result of systems or structures or difficult, and you're just like, what? How did this happen? And we suffer from, from, from the corruption and, and the things happening in this world. We've talked about this over the past couple months, how the kingdoms of this world are always at war with the kingdom of God. And since Christ has risen from the grave, and now there's this kingdom of God movement that Christ has initiated in his resurrection, the kingdoms of this world are always going to be at war with the kingdom of God. Even though Jesus is king over all creation, and one day as he returns, he will be fully recognized as king, the kingdoms of this world are always popping up. They're always going to be saying, how can we bring some more pain? How can we bring some more fear? How can we bring some more hate? And fighting against the kingdom of God, the kingdoms of this world, the corrupt kingdoms are always fighting against the kingdom of God. And as soon as the resurrection occurred, that tension began to increase because there's now a new way for us to live and to be human. But the corruption of this world will continuously fight against the kingdom of God until that day of Christ's return. And that's the, corrupt of the corrupt, corruption of the kingdoms of this world fighting against the kingdom of God. And Peter writes about this specifically in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, when he says, Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange was happening to you. Now, some people believe that when Peter's talking about this trial by fire, that it's more of a a metaphorical picture, and he's just saying, hey, when there's a trial by fire and things are difficult, don't be, and he very well could be talking about that. That, that could be the case. I lean towards the interpretation, and I could be very wrong here, but I lean towards the interpretation that Peter's talking about the fire that happened in Rome, and then Nero blamed the Christians on and used it as an excuse to then kill Christians and other groups of people. I believe he's referring to a literal fire that the corrupt systems of this world, the corrupt government of the world of Rome then used to blame on Christians and persecute Christians in this time period 2,000 years ago. And what we see from that is that there's always going to be corrupt systems, whether it's from businesses or government structures or authority structures that are at play within this world fighting against the kingdom of God. And there's suffering that comes from that corruption. And unfortunately, what I've noticed is within the church, there are oftentimes two popular responses to suffering from corruption. The first response is this. Well, you know, we live in a sick and corrupt world, so here's what we got to do. We just got to save souls, get people to heaven, and move on. We can't do anything about that. 
We just, you know, we're going to get raptured out of here. He's going to ruin, he's going to burn this world. And we just, we can't do anything about that. So we're just going to go save souls and move on. And that's kind of irresponsible. That's not what we're, as Christ followers, we are here with lives for a reason to bring about the good and work for the good of creation. The creation is groaning for restoration, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. So we can't just say, oh, you know, forget about that. We'll go save some souls and get the people to heaven, and those things will figure themselves out. That's not an appropriate response. But then sometimes we go to the other extreme as well, and we start saying, oh, you know, we are the enlightened generation. We're the most educated generation. We have figured everything out. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to fix everything and make it perfect because we know the answer now. That's not, a, that's not the right response either. That's, that's a response that is filled with pride of, oh, we have it all figured out. We can fix it all. We have to exist within the tension between the two because we can't create utopia in the here and now either. We are existing in the tension of the already but not yet kingdom. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we say, oh, let's just forget about it over here. And it also doesn't mean that we get so filled up with pride that we think that we can do, oh, we have it all figured out. No, we exist within the tension of saying we as the church are committed to being the people who are going to work for the good of creation. And what's going to happen? We are going to build up new people. We're going to build up new systems. Oh, and guess what? We're going to get it wrong sometimes. So what do we got to do? We got to have some humility and we got to refine it. We got to rework it. We got to build it up and not be so filled up with pride and say, this is mine. This is my thing. No, we got to step back and say, oh, wait, we missed that. Let's go fix it. Oh, we built this up. It's better than what that was, but oh, it, we got to fix it. Oh man, Scott, that sounds like a lot of work. Yep, we've been called to do a good work because he has began a good work within us. There's work for us to do. There's good to occur. There's something for us to do, church. And we can't, because if we exist over here, then we are, we are shaking off our responsibility as ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ to make a difference. We are shaking off that responsibility. Oh, we're just, no, we have responsibilities, ambassadors of Christ to work for the good of creation. But if we exist over here, we will become so filled up with pride that the enemy will build his roots into the structures that we're building. And before we know it, that has become corrupt itself. We have to work for the good within healthy accountability and say, how can we constantly be renewing our minds, refining what God has given us and saying, God, what did we miss? What did we miss? And how can we make it better? You have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to work for the good of creation because the corrupt systems of this world are going to keep fighting. And may we not get filled up with pride and may we not become lazy. May we continue working and fighting together as the church to work for the good, to fight against this corruption. Thirdly, there's suffering with Christ that Peter talks about. He also talks about suffering for Christ, but I wanted to be careful with that as well because that has become a little bit convoluted in, in these days as well. There is a suffering for Christ that happens. When you're following Christ, you can suffer for the name and the sake of Christ. It's, the scriptures are very clear on that. But I noticed that some people have had a tendency in recent history to use that as an excuse to be a jerk for Jesus. Oh, you know, I went and told these people the truth, and then they, they cussed me out and rejected me. I'm suffering for Jesus. Well, did you have a relationship with them before you went and told them the truth, or did you just think that you needed to go and correct the world? I don't know if that's suffering for Jesus. I think I'd call that being a Pharisee, just to be clear. So there is a suffering for Christ that occurs, but there's also a suffering with Christ. There's something... There's something beautiful that happens as we are following the crucified Christ that, that he feels with us and resonates with us in our sufferings. 
And it is in our suffering that we begin to see and understand who it is that we truly are in him. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And the father speaks to Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet. And the father speaks that over Jesus. And then the scriptures tell us in Matthew 4 that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy as he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, but I would say being in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting and not eating and being tempted by the enemy, I would call that a space of suffering. I don't know if any of you would call it that, but I would call it that. I would say that is a space of suffering. But it is in that space that Jesus resisted the enemy. He did not bow to the enemy's uh, temptations where the enemy said, hey, I can give you this space. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to be the king of all creation. I don't need this, this little space that you're showing me here. And Jesus resists the enemy. And then he comes through that. Then we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And what happened, what we see here is this identity that God spoke over the Son, that God the Father spoke over God the Son. You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. These were not just empty words that the Father had spoken over Jesus. This was who Jesus was. This is what the Father saw within him. Jesus lived in that even in the midst of suffering. And it is through suffering we see the strength of who the Son actually is, what God saw within him, that I am well pleased with you because he resisted. He stayed away and he pressed on into the calling that God had for him. And this is a good reminder for every one of us that when God speaks over your life, when he calls you his child, when he calls you a new creation, when he says that you are his workmanship, these are not just empty words for you to say, oh, that's my identity in Christ. These are truths and promises and an identity that he has placed within you so that when you are in that space of suffering, you can see who it is that he's called you to be. You can have a strength within him to know that I'm might feel distant from everyone and everything else right now. I'm at a low moment. It's complicated. It's difficult. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know why you even allowed this to happen right now, God, but you know what? I know you said I'm your child and that you care about me. And then you'll come through that and you'll see that as his child, he was carrying you through the entire time. These are not just empty words. It's an identity to hold on and cling to. And it is through suffering. You will see who it is that you truly are in him. He will bring you through to that place. And Peter continues to emphasize this suffering with Christ that is, is in this we discover who we truly are. As he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, but rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, who is the spirit of God, rests on you. He said, rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ. That's an interesting thought. Rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice in the degree that you've shared in the sufferings of Christ. Peter's thinking, oh my gosh, the fact that we could suffer as our Savior suffered. That's, rejoice in that. He's doing something in that. There's something that he's doing. Isaiah 53 refers to Christ as the suffering servant, as prophesying of the Messiah. We serve a crucified Christ. Yes, he's the resurrected Christ, but he's also the crucified Christ. And we share with him and he shares with us and he walks with us and he feels with us in the suffering. So there's a sense that when we come to the space of suffering, we can say, thank you, Jesus. I know you're with me in this moment. 
I know you're with me in this season. I know you're with me in this space. First Peter 4.16, he said, but if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. Glorify God that you bear such a name that you're sharing with the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings we experience are in some ways different than the sufferings that the early church experienced. But it's still suffering. It's mental, physical, spiritual, wherever it comes from. And if you're suffering, and in that suffering, you're following Christ, there's, there's a way in which he's feeling with you in that, he's walking with you in that, that you're not in that alone that he's doing something in that. So I want to talk to you for closing thoughts here, two benefits of suffering that Peter addresses in this letter. So the first thing he lets us know, this is not going to be on the screen this point. So if you want to write it down, you can, if you're taking notes, but you don't have to, but uh, suffering leads to sight. It is through suffering that we can actually begin to see the will of God more clearly. It is through suffering that we can begin to more clearly see who God is and what he's doing around us. Peter says it this way in earlier on in chapter four. So since Christ suffered in the flesh, you also arm yourselves with the same attitude because the one, listen to this, this is pretty fascinating. The one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin and that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. That the one who spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. That there's something that happens in suffering that begins to expand your perspective. You begin to see things differently. And it's, it's then easier, I think what Peter's getting at here is, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think what he's getting at is that it's through suffering that you no longer are as self-absorbed. It's not all just that you begin to see, ah, I'm not going to be so enticed by sin. There's something greater going on here. Because how many of you know that once you've gone through some suffering and you've made it through it, that God then uses you to help somebody who went through a very similar thing? That it's through that suffering that your perspective becomes expanded a little bit, that you are given a more, a greater clarity of sight to see what it is that God is doing. But, but we get nervous. We get hesitant. I look back, uh, I think of the story of Israel in Egypt and God rescued Israel out of slavery and they're out in the wilderness. And then they say, oh, you know, we want to go back to Egypt. We just want to go back to Egypt. And it's like, why would you want to go back to Egypt? But there's something about this predictability of bondage that they wanted to go back into. They said, oh, we'll go back here because we knew what it was like there. And this unpredictability of being in the wilderness, we just don't really like this process all that much. But, But sometimes to get out of that space, you have to be willing to take the step of faith to go through the process that might be a little bit difficult that will eventually get you to the promised land. 
Sometimes you have to say, ah, you know what? I like it's predict. I, I don't love everything here, but I do like the predictability of it. And, and I don't love everything, but you know, I, and, but, and to get over there, I have to go through a process and it's unpredictable and it could bring some suffering and it could bring some difficulties. I don't know if I'm ready for that. So as much as I don't like this space, I'm going to stay over here right now. How many of us psych ourselves out from getting to the promised land or getting to the will of God or getting to the place that God wants to take us to because we don't want to go through the process of of the wilderness? We don't want to go through the process of what it means to truly rely on him and to find that there's something greater on the other side. We don't really trust that he's going to lead us to that spot. But it was we suffer with Christ, his suffering will lead to sight so that when, you, when he brings you through this process and you get there, you will see more clearly and you will see that in this space, not only does he have something for you, but he's given you resources to bless those around you. There's something more going on. You know, I, I wanted to bring these back this week and some of you probably hate these. I had these in January. These are my cross glasses. And I'm bringing, if you don't like them, I'm bringing them back in October as well for our series on the Bible. So just a heads up. But anyways, I had these out in January. And I was using these to say that when we read the scriptures, what we should use is the lens through which we read the scriptures is the cross because Jesus said, all, they all speak, the scriptures speak of me. And, and so the cross should be the, the hermeneutical lens through which we view the scriptures. Okay, that's my little nerdy moment there. But the cross should also be the lens through which we view suffering. The cross is the lens through which we begin to see more clearly what it is that God is doing in suffering. Because yes, it is in the cross that we see the victory of resurrection, but it is also in the cross that we see the pain and the suffering of crucifixion. That when we begin to know Christ so deeply and intimately, that when we're going through a season and a space of suffering, that we look at that suffering through the lens of the cross, what do we begin to know and believe and understand as the church? That it is through crucifixion that resurrection resurrection is made possible. That it is through death, life then will burst forth. Come on, I got someone over here. Come on, it is through, it is through, it is through the place of darkness and ashes that light will then burst forth and that God will do a good work. That when we live a life with a cross vision and we see our suffering through the lens of the cross, we know that he is with us in that suffering, but he is also pulling us through to bring us into the victory of resurrection. That there's a process at work and the cross vision is what will give us sight to see that suffering produces sight and it's the sight to see the will of God over our own will. It's the sight to become and to see and to walk in the new reality that Christ has in store for each and every one of us. Come on church. So my challenge for us, amen, is that we would adopt a cross vision. He feels with you and walks with you in your suffering. But then it is through that crucifixion that resurrection is made possible. Suffering will give us sight to see beyond ourselves and to see the people and the groups and the families and the lives that God has called us to. Secondly, suffering leads to strength. It's suffering that will produce strength within our lives. Peter goes on to talk about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, where he says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, what will he do? He will not just strengthen you, but he will restore, confirm, and establish you. 
This is a promise from God. Write down 1 Peter 5.10 that as through suffering you will be strengthened. It's like you keep, on, you keep on taking the hits, but it's through taking those hits that you're going to be strengthened. It's through going through that process that you're going to come out a new person. It is through him refining you and doing something in you that he's going to bring you to a new place. And you're going to see that you've been set up on a spot that you didn't think that you could be before, but he's doing something within you. And it's not about your strength and, oh, I got to get through this. No, it's about his strength working within you. It's about you seeing this truth of Ephesians 1 three, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I don't even know if we've even begun to scratch the surface of what that fully means, that we have been given everything we need in Christ Jesus so that in those moments of suffering, he is doing something in us that brings us to the fullness of strength that he has in store for us. Spiritual blessing, the strength within him. He's strengthening you. He's strengthening me. He will strengthen you through suffering. And that's why Paul wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1. I mean, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. He said, For Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about, listen to this, we preach about a crucified Christ. What? That doesn't make any sense. We preach about a we preach about a Christ who we preach about a savior who didn't take the lives of his enemies, but laid down his life for the sake of his enemies. We preach about a savior who was humiliated and beaten and bruised and mocked and rejected and left behind by all of his closest friends. We preach about a crucified Christ. This is a stumbling block to Jews. For Paul, this is a stumbling block to the ultra-religious people and foolishness to Gentiles. This is foolishness to the smart people, to the worldly people. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Keep that up for just a moment. I'm going to pop these back on for those of you who like these. So here we go. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. It is in the cross that the foolishness of God, this doesn't make any sense. A crucified savior, beaten, bruised, mocked, rejected, placed in a tomb and forgotten and dead. That doesn't make sense. It seems foolishness, but it is wiser than human wisdom. And, and the weakness of God, it is stronger than human strength. We worship a crucified Christ and he is the resurrected king. He feels with us in our pain, but he gives us victory to work through it, to continue to move forward and become who it is that he has designed us and called us to be. It doesn't make any sense. It seems like, what, that's strange, that's weird. But we serve the Savior who said, I am laying down my life and in laying down his life, he made it possible for all of us to have life. In the victory of the cross, we can know that in our suffering, he is doing a good work and he is going to bring us through and that the tomb is empty. He is the resurrected King so church, I want to invite you to stand to your feet here. We're going to stand together and we're going to, we're going to sing a closing song here today. And in this song, we are going to declare, we are going to move forward. We are going to walk forward together as his church. And I know that some of you in here right now, you might be in one of those low moments. You might be in that space of suffering 
And I want you to know that Christ feels with you in that space, that there's a sharing of that moment that Christ is in with you. But he also wants you to know that there is victory in him, that he has made it possible for you to begin to move forward. He has made it possible for you to shake off that which has been holding you down and holding you back. And we as a church are going to collectively sing and share and declare together that we are throwing off the old. We are throwing off that which is holding us down. And we celebrate a resurrected king. We celebrate a victorious king in Christ Jesus. And may we shout and declare and praise and move.